Everybody's got to hear the Value Economics Podcast. Six million ways to die. Choose one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Value Economics Podcast. I'm your host, Sam LaCrosse. Can you dig it? I can. And especially now because I am here with a really good friend, my friend, Ananai Alwal. Ananai, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? No one ever asked me that. So thank you for asking that. And so on, on this po- on the podcast, at least no one ever asked me that. I have very lovely people in my life, but I, no one's ever asked me back. I'm doing really well. I'm, I've been very, we were talking a little bit before kind of, you know, we started this whole thing that you know, I was, I've been really looking forward to doing this interview for quite a while because you and I have kind of tossed back and forth things surrounding, you know, branding and content and work and kind of entrepreneur, like that whole sort of space kind of around just where we want to go in the future, our plans, our goals, our visions. And I think you are one of the very few people I know that has been very consistent with it for a very long time. And you've kind of gone through a really interesting last year i would say we're recording this in late november early december and this is going to be coming out in january so you will have completed it by this point so a future congratulations to you at this point and so um you know i wanted to have you on to really just overall discuss you know kind of your mindset your philosophy around a lot of things because you and i have known each other now it's it's kind of crazy for almost a year and a half and so we've seen each other kind of go in different directions and test out a lot of other things and so um i'm just really looking forward to talking to you so i'm i'm doing very well to answer your question so thank you <laughs> it's funny that no one's asked you that on the podcast. I'm it, sure they asked beforehand. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the, the pleasantries beforehand, but it's kind of like, you know, it's it's funny. I was talking to somebody about this yesterday where um uh Stephen Bartlett, who I think is is a great podcaster, when he had Jordan Peterson on, that was the first question he asked Jordan Peterson. He said that he always wanted to ask that because, and I'm not comparing myself to Jordan at all, because obviously he's a massive figure and I'm I'm working my way to be there, hopefully, but not yet. And so he asked him, he, the first question he asked him was how he was doing, because he has never heard anyone ask someone like Jordan Peterson, how he was doing. So I thought that was fascinating. And so I kind of want to, you know, really open it up with that because you, you really never know. And just because, you know, people are, you know, famous or in the spotlight or doing a lot of cool things like either Jordan or Steven or any of those guys that are really in that, in that nature, it doesn't mean that they're not struggling with stuff because, you know, humans have a lot of, a lot of problems, a lot of issues, a lot of things going on with them. And so I think it's always good to ask that question of someone, no matter who that person is. Agreed. No, I I second that. Yeah, for sure. And so, okay. So like I kind of said, I know you, but maybe some of our listeners do not know you as well. So kind of give us a little brief introduction. Like, who are you? Where do you come from? How are like, you know, give, give, give us a little bit of background in terms of all that stuff of, you know, what comprises the woman that I'm talking to today. Awesome. Okay. So in terms of who I am, I am, well, my family is actually from Ethiopia and my parents came to the country as refugees. My mom was seven and a half months pregnant with me when she came to the States. And then I was born here, obviously. Um, And she, it was her and my older brother. And my father was unable to come because he ended up failing kind of like the medical component of coming as refugees. So because he was ill, he was unable to come when my parents came. And so um, he ended up coming nine years later. And wow. so I share that because I come from a background where I was mainly raised by a single mom. And because of that, I would say my siblings and I grew up really, really close knit. But it was interesting because 
Being that she was a refugee from Ethiopia, inside the home, we were more Eastern society, whereas like in the school system and just kind of navigating with friends is very much Western world. And so we lived a bicultural, bicultural life growing up, which made for an interesting experience for us. Um, by us, I mean my siblings and myself. And so it just navigating, I fell in love with both my culture at home but then like the culture I got to see of my friends and you know just other peers growing up and so I would say that was what initially just like sparked my interest in people um in different cultures different backgrounds what makes people do what they do why some people may you know go through horrendous um just traumatic events and come on the other side and be you know, victorious, and then why some may go through something similar or not and end up having a life or a quality of life that's, you know, we tend to see as purposeless. And so for me, I just dug deep into personal development. I dug deep into just kind of figuring out like, why are there people in this world who are successful and win? And no matter what cards are handed to them, they can make a fulfilling life and why is it that there are others who struggle and so that's where my love for personal development just kind of started to to stem from and grow and um i i don't want to share too much or make this too long of an intro but oh, that, yeah. okay well my love for personal development led me to attending personal development seminars reading books so one thing i think is common with a lot of people in this space um, we tend to have a very addictive personalities. And so it's not just, I got into this and I thought it was okay. It's like, no, dug deep into this and full on head first, you know, what, what's the next books? What's the next book I can read? What's the next podcast I can listen to? What's the next seminar? So on and so forth. And so with that, I started attending seminars and uh, Tony Robbins seminar was actually one of the first personal development seminar I attended. And a couple years after that, I started working for the company and that's where we're at now. So I work for Tony Robbins on our, we call it our mastery team. Um, essentially what I do is like onboarding for clients who purchase our mastery programs and they are assigned to us and every day is a different day. Some days I'm like a coach other days, I'm like a friend, a mentor, um, but I get to live out that discovery of, okay, who is this person? What have they gone through? What are they struggling with? How can we get past these limiting beliefs? How can we get past whatever barrier standing in the way of where they are now in that life that they dream for themselves or their family or their company or all the above? That's a great answer. So please don't put a cap on yourself ever. That was really good. So I, I think that's a you hit on a lot of things. And I think it's really interesting from a couple of components because um, I, I literally am writing the intro to my fourth book as of right now, as, I, as I'm doing this. And so my, my third book is mostly, it's more than 50% done. My second book at the time of this writing is coming out next Friday. So I'm kind of, you know, working and looking forward. And so it, the, the part about what you said about your mother and about your family and everything coming from a really hard life and you guys end up, you know, just not only your mom, but your brother, your sisters, your all of your siblings, you all are, from my understanding, doing quite well. And you're really kind of forged in a lot of very hard circumstances, particularly your parents as they fled from a really bad situation. They made their way to the United States and everything like that. And 
And I will get into that a couple a couple minutes later. So I thought that was really you know interesting in terms of the way that you know we kind of converge there in our thoughts, and that's always very I would say interesting in terms of how that all those things kind of correlate together. But you almost led right into the next couple of series of questions that I was going to ask because you know we'll we'll get to your background and kind of expand on a little bit, especially as to the stuff around you working for Tony and things like that, because I know that's a big part of your life. It's what you do. It's what you're really passionate about and everything. But um, the one thing that I notice about you and I think a lot of people notice about you is that you are and you just kind of admitted it yourself so it makes my job easier in this sense you're a very people oriented person like you love people and that's kind of you know very evident when you when you're I'm around you when you talk to people you're always very kind of upbeat and supportive and extroverted and you like getting to know people and getting to empathize with people and so you can empathize you can be personable you can be very friendly and so how do you think was this more learned and fostered? Is it like a nature nurture thing? Do you think that this was kind of, was it something you got from either your mom or your father or your siblings, or was it kind of a mix of everything that made you kind of so interested in other people and in kind of the human condition? Great question. So I think a little bit of it, my mom is the same way. She's very much people oriented. She was at put your shoes on, we're going to go. And then 20 minutes later, she's still talking. It's like, so are we leaving? Yeah. We're, we're still here. But to some degree, so I would say I've always been very curious, just very curious about a lot of things. But then with people, I think also being a person of faith, I was always curious to know what is their purpose in life. And not saying that there is a very finite purpose for every single person, every season's got some nuance to it as in terms of what an individual's purpose is going to be but I always was curious like if I am cross crossing paths with this person is there something that's supposed to be an exchange amongst us whether it's just a conversation a smile or I know something that I was supposed to divinely share with them or vice versa and so growing up I just was always curious to like why are why are we here with these people specifically of all the people right. that are in the world why why him or why her so that was something that i was just always very curious about but in addition to that i didn't know at the time that it was building rapport i always found myself in very awkward situations where maybe people weren't talking or we're in a group setting and we had to break the ice and you know like those icebreaker questions most people don't like that and so I always just kind of volunteered myself to be the first one to ask something different and get someone else to feel comfortable and break the ice and get like make them feel comfortable in whatever space or capacity we were in. And so it, it just, yeah, a combination of learn. And I guess it is something that was like innate as well. Yeah, I, I think I always think it's a mix of both. I don't think it's, you know, I don't like to think it's this simple thing where it's either nature or nurture or whatever. I I do think that I don't think people are totally products of their environment, but I I like I don't think it's I think it's kind of foolish to say that, you know, we're not products of our environment at all in a lot of ways, because, you know, just it the there's too many factors there that I think need to be kind of dug into. And I think that what that's what makes you, I would say, especially interesting in terms of our relationship and how we met, because I met you as part of kind of a package deal with your sister Metro when we were in Miami last summer. And so we kind of, you know, met each other at the same time. I don't know. We didn't talk very much. We talked more on a separate trip that we went on later, which, mm -hmm. um, you know, which we can maybe talk about later. But basically what I have really been interested in about you guys particularly is that 
you know, as a lot of people, I would say in our generation, especially I'm a very older, I know you're a little bit older than I am. So I think I'm, I'm older Gen Z. You might be young millennial, older Gen Z, whichever one of the two, it's kind of, we're around the same age. So it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. But I think this demographic of people in general is like, so interested to kind of just escape everything and abandon kind of the traditions and their family and their parents and, and their siblings and kind of go like the, the go West young man type of ethos about so many things, but you have kind of, you've kind of done that and you kind of have not done that because like, like we were talking about earlier, you have gone out on your own several times. You went out of state for college. You went uh, in a lot of different ways in terms of living in different places and parts of the United States, your family's mm -hmm. from Ethiopia, obviously. And so you guys, but you kept very, very close with your family and your sisters and everything like that. So I know you're very close with them. And so what was more of the family dynamic like growing up? Like, did you, did that factor into your extroversion wanting to understand people? Because you're like, wow, like Ametra is really into, she does pageants. So she's really into either modeling or this type of talent or this type of speech or this type of whatever. And so did that factor into more of like, are you guys similar? Are you guys different? And you were like, wow, that's kind of interesting. I really want to kind of get to know them more because of that. Like what was the whole household dynamic for you guys growing up? Yeah. So in terms of household dynamic, so because so growing up as young kids, I think it was kind of forced on us to be close and sure, to do things sure. together. And so we didn't get along the way we do now as adults. And so I think as adults, it, or maybe even when I went off to college and just that distance between us, when we would come together, it was just like, wow, I miss my siblings. This is nice. Um, but to your point, I would say how I mentioned earlier, very much in the, in the home, how we were raised, it was still very much Eastern society. Like we, my, our parents really valued like taking care of your siblings, looking after your younger siblings. Um, no one's left behind. If one person's getting this and everybody's getting this, if one person's doing a thing, then everybody's doing a thing, so to speak. Yeah. And I would also say too, our mom did a very good job of signing us up for just pretty much everything. Like we were putting everything, whether it's sports or after school activities, just to keep us busy. And so that also allowed for us to do things together um, if they were, weren't age restrictions or whatever, but we would always get dropped off to the same, you know, gym together or the YMCA together and those sorts of things. And so I think it forced us in a way to be close, but as we got older, it was by choice for us to be real close knit like we are. Yeah, I would say that's probably that's probably true of a lot of people. And I think you're definitely not alone there. And you you touched on one thing there that I, I want to dig into a little bit more because I've been curious about it. So I am you are first generation American. Like you said, your mom, you know, escaped Ethiopia enough to because you she had a pretty short timeline, actually, like six, six weeks is not a long, long time before fleeing country right. with a child, which is crazy in and of itself. But I mean, so I but, you know, so you are first generation American. I'm fourth generation American. And so with me, I kind of had a hardwired Americanized version of kind of my sense of self in a lot of ways. And, and here's what I mean by that. It's kind of like I am a rugged individualist to almost a fault in a lot of ways. And so like I am kind of like I am the master of my faith, the captain of my soul, the whole thing. Like no one's going to get in my way. I, I don't trust big institutions, big government, big corporations. Like I, I don't trust any of those people. And so like I don't want anyone to like tread on my rights or whatever. And so but I've had this thought recently and it's been spurred by a couple of things. One I will we'll get into in a second, but I would say I've grown to really appreciate a lot of the old world in a lot of sense, whether that's either 
Asia or Africa, not necessarily Europe, because it's more part of the, I would say the, the West in a lot of ways, the broader Anglosphere, but I would say in a lot of, you know, Middle Eastern countries, even in, in some ways about kind of that more collective, we're all in this together version of either a family unit or a local community or in a society, because I think we're seeing now with America in a lot of ways where people are so individualistic, where you see, you know, a lot of things either with birth rates or marriage rates or kind of how people are going about with everything else. They're kind of going it so alone that they're missing out on something, in my opinion. So you you talked, I think, either either before we started recording or, or somewhat during that you were kind of in this bicultural way of looking at the world. So you are obviously a very independent person. You have gone and chased a lot of your dreams. You've done a lot of things, but you also have this more collective mindset where hardwired in by your parents and by your culture and by your family and everything where it is a lot of like, we're all in this together. We're a family. We do all these things when, you know, all this, all this other sort of thing that you described. And so how do you go back with balancing that in your head between being kind of like knowing the value of a collective culture while also wanting to go out and be this individual person who has done all these really cool things and is really chasing after her dreams? I think for me personally, every individual goal or aspiration that I have, at the end of it, my hopes is for it to still benefit and help my family and help my tribe and help yeah. those who. So even in doing something individually, I look at myself as one body part to the whole body. You know what I mean? And so my sister has a responsibility to do something with what she's been given. So does my brother. So do my parents. And so my responsibility is, okay, this is what I've been given in terms of gifts, in terms of talents, in terms of resources, in terms of, you know, um, like my my community of friends that I've had and and made throughout the years. And so with that, what am I going to do with it? And how can that not only help, you know, them, but how can that also help my family and those that I do life with? Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really cool answer. And so the reason I was I was saying earlier, so um, I don't know if you know uh, Kel Zanu at all. So Kel is a part of my my men's group, and so he wrote a very interesting book, which I which I think you should read. You should buy it definitely. He wrote a book called The African Immigrant Household. It was one of the first books I read this year, and so he wrote a book about this whole his his parents I believe are from Benin, so they're from a different part of a different part of the continent, but still a very, I would say, you know, it's an African society. And so he basically said, this is kind of what it's like to be raised as a first generation African child. And he grew up in New York. So it's very multicultural. There's a lot, but there's also this like kind of rugged Americanism, like I thought about a lot of other things. And so I again, I'm very, very far from this. I'm not even remotely part of any part. Like I'm all American, everything else. My parents were from some parts of the developed West, but not really anything that's too, um, that's too, I would say, you know, old fashioned and those type of ways. So um, I liked the book for a lot of reasons. One, because I was very unfamiliar with it and I like being exposed to new ideas and new cultures. I find both of those things very fascinating. Uh, two, Kel's a really good writer. So he's able to tell a really good story. And three, I was shocked in a very good way about how much I liked a lot of what his family did in terms of raising their children, running their household, doing everything else like this. And I, and I thought like my overwhelming thing, and I did, when I did a podcast with Kel earlier last year, I, I, I told this to him on camera. I said, I think we need a lot more of that in the family life in America right now. I need, we need a lot more of the kind of that 
you know, that either African, Asian, Middle Eastern sentiment to be in place in American families, because I think a lot of a lot of ways that American families currently struggle is because we've kind of lost either that touch of what that benefit was in terms of a lot of the things that you probably experienced growing up. So how did your parents parent you? And like, are, and so I, are, do you, so, and do you, do you and your siblings perceive it compared to other kids? Like, did you know that you were kind of in kind of a different vibe and all those things? Because I know, um, I don't know much about Minnesota, but I know Minnesota has a lot of, uh, a lot of immigrant families, a lot of people from a lot of different parts of the world. It's very ethnically diverse. And so one, I would say, how did you, how did your parents kind of go about their parenting styles in terms of a lot of ways? And two, did you guys really notice it compared to a lot of other people like you went to school with or you went to play sports with or anything? Like, I'm very curious about that part of it too. Yeah, great question. So my older brother and I were five years apart and then Ametra and I were five years apart as well. And that's important to know because how how my parents' parent, well, my dad later on when he came to the States and stuff, but my mom too, how she parented myself and my older brother and how the my other siblings were parented was completely different it's like we grew up in two different households but we did notice that there was a difference and again them coming as refugees um when a girl is about age six or seven she's already cooking and cleaning and taking care of younger siblings and that sort of thing and so that was something that I was doing as a very young kid as like a first grader, second grader, I was like helping with like taking care of a Metra. And, you know, she, I looked at her and my mom will tell people this too. She'd be like, that's my daughter. Like I would tell a Metra my yeah. daughter, which is interesting yeah. to, to say um, from like a Western society point of view, but like I, my responsibility in the household was quite a bit in comparison to what some of my peers probably did in terms of like cooking and cleaning, there was just things I learned to do really early on. And what a lot of my friends growing up were also from my tribe and they're from the same country, spoke the same language. And yep. they were actually who I spent the most time with outside of school. And so when I go to their homes, everything was completely the same. And so I didn't think anything of it, but as I got older, then I started to go to some of like my white friends' homes. It's like, oh, our lives are very, very different. Like yeah, we do right. completely yeah. different. And so yeah. I would say that was when I first had like my wake up call, like we were very different in how we do things in the home. And then in addition to that, because my brother was a lot older and he was involved in like more sports and activities and things of that nature, he got to go and because he's a man, he's a male, he was able to go out into friends' houses and do that sort of thing more. Um, culturally speaking, it was just not normal for our parents to allow like females to go over and stay over at friends' house. But my older brother, he kind of had, you know, some of those rights <laughs> and privileges, um, which, you know, from a cultural standpoint, that's just how it was. Um, and so he would bring certain recipes or certain type of foods um that he picked up from his friend's house to our place and so he'd be like he'd go to the store with my mom and be like get this and get that so like anything like frozen pizza or american dishes and stuff like that we probably first picked up from my older brother picking that up from a friend of his otherwise for the most part it was like african foods and stuff like that in the household and then as we just got more integrated with you know just things of western civilization we would us kids, we would now introduce us that into the home. 
That's really, really interesting. I, I remember, I remember when I went to, I went to Italy right before COVID happened. It was the summer before COVID happened. I was in college and I went over on a, um, I was part of a, a research cohort. And so we went over to, you know, learn from all these Italian fashion companies. We were in Milan, we were in Padua, we were in Verona, we were in uh, Venice, a lot of different places. We went to like a shoe manufacturer and a, a big fashion house and whatever. And so we were over there and and this is more of a curiosity thing for me. So if, if this is totally irrelevant, it's, it, I guess it's fine because it's my podcast, but I, I don't know. So, um, so when I was shocked about how, when I went over to Italy, how much healthier everything was in terms of the food and in terms of the customs and in terms of everything else. So when your brother is kind of on this, you know, exploratory phase where he's like going to bring all these things in, like, was it, have you noticed, like, was that really, I would say, kind of jarring to you about how the way a, a lot of more traditional Americans live in terms of everything? Like, were you receptive to it? Were you warm to it? Were you kind of, you know, kind of, I would say not dismissive, but I would say more cautious and apprehensive about it. Like what was your overall reaction to it? So we were pretty much more receptive to it because also in school we got to eat similar foods. Oh, that's so true. It, it wasn't like completely brand new. Um, yeah. It's just, if my mom was sent on a mission to buy this stuff, she probably back then would have been like, what am I getting? And so then my brother could actually be like, get this type of pizza or get this type of, uh, but it wasn't anything that was completely new to us because both in school and in daycare, we got to have that. But in terms of like what my mom cooked at home or what she was preparing, it was almost hundred, like nine times out of 10 going to be African food. Yeah. Okay. That's really cool. That's really cool. That's, that's really, really awesome. I found that very yeah. fascinating. So um, I want to ask kind of pivot a little bit away from that. And so a kind of a, a more broader question. So um, you're obviously you, we've talked about your family kind of at length here. You're really close to your parents, really close to your siblings, which is really, really awesome. And so you kind of broach this in terms of more of a, I would say more broad cultural point of it. But so I want to talk about role models a little bit. And so you get kind of more, you know, you know, social media, you get out in terms of seeing, you know, listening to music, doing all the things that, you know, kids coming of age do. And so you are obviously exposed to people who you naturally gravitate to in the culture that you're drawn to for X or Y reason or whatever else. And so what I would say, what are some common traits that, or who did you look up to first and foremost in terms of role models? And were there any commonalities in terms of traits that you liked from all of your role models? Do they all have something in common that you really looked up to them for? Hmm. So the first one or one of my earliest role models that I can think of is Oprah. And as yeah. a young kid, I remember watching the Oprah Winfrey show with my mom. And I even remember crying on her last episode because I was very sad that I never got to be on the Oprah Winfrey show. Oh, no. I was so moved because I honestly believed with everything in me, like, wow, like, I'm going to meet this lady one day or I'm going to, you know, sit across from her. I don't know why that was a dream that I had, but it just was. I didn't know, like, what I expected to talk to Oprah about or what we would discuss yeah, right. or what, what yeah. the episode would be like, but... I, I believe for me, what what I loved most about her was her ability to connect with whoever was in the seat across from her, her ability to go deep and sometimes to even ask questions that that person might not have been asked in that way before. And it would bring them to a place of even like deep emotion, like, wow, you know, and I, I also really admire her ability to call out a fault of somebody or something that they may have done without shaming them, the person. Mm. And so 
yeah, maybe it was like her empathy. It was how she conducted and carried herself. But that was that was something I admired a lot. And some of my close friends will even say like, you're very like forgiving. Um, and, and I really, it, this is interesting. And I have a friend who I worked with back when I was waitressing. Um, and he and I, we were always talking together on our shift and it was incredible. And he ended up like telling me one day that he was in prison for a couple of things that he did when he was young. And he was scared to tell me because he thought I was going to judge him. And it's like, you served your time. You did your thing. But I really didn't look at him any differently. And I don't know what it is about me, but I can separate the person from the act that they did. Of, yeah. of course, you know, it, I'm, I'm not naive and not walking around like, you know, there are no bad people bangers or whatever. Yeah. 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 But I, I just carry a lot of grace for people. Um, it has burned me in the past, but I carry a lot of grace for people. And I think I'm drawn to role models who are the same. So second to Oprah, um, my mom was one for me growing up. She's also someone with a lot of grace and, um, just a lot of humility too. Um, in, and then in terms of other people, as a, like a little, little kid that I absolutely looked up to, Nelson Mandela was another one. Yeah, and yeah. as I got into my teen adult or young adult years, Tony Robbins made it on the list and people in the personal development sector who, again, just very big, deep hearts, very loving and um, compassionate. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I mean, those are a couple of really good people to look up to. I don't know. I, I would say I'm not as probably going deep on all three of those people as you are, but I think they're really, really awesome people, it sounds like. And so yeah. from your more of a personal perspective, so we don't have to get any, into anything specific here, but I, I would say something that also is very interesting about you, particularly as a woman in a lot of ways, is that you are very, and you mentioned this earlier a little bit, but you're very outspoken about your faith, about more traditional sets of value systems in a way that I think is very uncommon nowadays, particularly for a, a Western American woman to kind of have some opinions that you do either about your faith or about the way things should be or about kind of how things are, especially with the kind of craziness and madness that we're currently involved with in a lot of ways inside of the culture. And so why do you feel compelled to, you know, not just only disagree with some of those things, and I'm sure there's some things you agree with too, but like, why do you feel compelled to kind of be so forthright and out with kind of the way you feel about things. Because I think in a lot of ways, it would be much easier perhaps to kind of let it all alone, kind of not kind of say things about something or not kind of put yourself out there as a Christian or something else about the way you feel about something. And so why do you feel compelled to really assert your value system when it could be in a lot of ways much easier to kind of just let it, you know, water off a duck's back and just let it go in a lot of ways? Yeah. Um, one quote that my boss always says is easy on the front end, easy on the front end is hard on the back end. And then whatever is hard on the front end tends to be a lot easier on the back end. And you hear that in usually like a business standpoint or um, context and whatnot. But I think it's the same thing with fighting for your values. You could be quiet about it and it would make things easy in this moment from like a one-to-one one person or me to another person type of conversation, but allowing for things to carry will make things harder in the back end. Whether you might be seeing and reaping the, the fruit of it yourself or the next generation or so on and so forth. And so I look at it as like speaking about values and speaking about 
the family structure and speaking about things like really um, supporting the opposite gender, right? Because there's division even within that, like, yeah. you know, the feminist movement, you know, you're a woman, you do what you want, da, 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 all of those things. It's like to make that other person in front of me feel comfortable and not speak truth or life into them might feel easy now, but it could be detrimental on the back, on the back end. And so that's, that's just always been my outlook on it. Um, I just look at it as like, this person may feel this way and I will share my, my views or share how I feel or share, or share what I believe. And then at the end of the day, I also know it's up to them to decide for themselves. I'm never going to force my views on another, but I do feel that I'm not just going to sit quietly and not share anything um, because I don't want to also be held responsible for never being the one to speak life into another, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes it makes perfect sense. I think that's a really beautiful answer because I think that there, I mean, I think we need so much more of that in so many different ways because I think that the more conversations we have about values naturally, the better value. It's like, it's a competition theory, even though it's not, you know, we're talking about value. I think it's interesting that you kind of, because this is kind of what my first book was, is that I kind of took a lot of business and financial principles and applied them to values. I think they're kind of very interchangeable in a lot of ways. And I think what you said kind of about, you know, getting more conversations about values into the broader culture, it just adds more competition and more competition is good for efficiency and for better things to win out at the end of the day, because the cream naturally rises to the top in a lot of ways. So regardless, if you are even quietly or publicly or doing whatever to assert kind of what you believe around certain things, I think the better is going to come from it regardless. And I think the thing that is most important to you from what I've talked to you about and what you've kind of really asserted is your faith and everything you do in terms of your walk with God and everything you kind of, you know, wrap around to that. I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, but you're very passionate about it as am I. And so kind of walk me through your overall walk with how you came to be a person of faith. Like, did you always have it? Did you grow up with it? Or did you have to more develop it on your own as you kind of made your way through life? Or was it mix, a mix of both maybe again? Yeah. Yeah. So a mix of both. Um, and I will add to, to the last question. Yeah, go ahead. I, I don't normally give my unsolicited advice. And I think it's important to, to note that. However, someone comes to me and they ask, I'm always going to share the truth, how I see it, it fit. And then in addition to that, because you mentioned faith, if God is literally leading or prompting me to share something, I'm going to share that as well. So I just wanted to add that as, as well, because I'm not going to be out here just pounding down someone who doesn't want to hear or is not receptive. My values and my views, I don't know how beneficial that is, but to each their own. However, if it's something where, you know, that is literally leading me to speak life into this person or to share you know, then I'll go ahead and share. Um, but to your next question about my walk. So I grew up in a Christian household. My mom is very, very, very strong in her faith. And she was kind of always that person we looked up to um, by we, I mean, my siblings and myself uh, as a role model of someone who was, had a very firm foundation in terms of like her commitment and her relationship with the Lord. Um, as at when I was a second grader, so from second grade to eighth grade, uh, I was in a private school and my siblings and myself, we were all in private school up until about the eighth grade, with the exception of the younger two. Um, and so we grew up, you know, at school too, learning the word of God and having like um, a subject on just like Bible 
and had Bible verses that we had to memorize and stuff. Very involved with, in church, in church multiple times out of the week. Um, and so for me, most of my childhood, it was more routine, like church and the things we did. It was just a part of our routine. It was part of our schedule. It was built in. It wasn't anything I had to think about or anything like that. And then I would say once I got into college and that routine was not there by default, I had to decide for myself, like, what is it that I want to do or how am I going to pursue this relationship? So I would say growing up, I always knew of the Lord, but I didn't experience a relationship with the Lord for myself until about college age. And so I had the opportunity to choose and to make decisions on my own. Am I going to go to church? There's no one who's going to, you know, tell me or wake me up on Sunday morning. Am I going to be involved with a Christian community? Am I going to pray? Am I going to read my word? those things. And so those, those were things that I grew to do on my own as an adult. Awesome. That's really, really cool. And very, very, I would say, you know, just, I think very common for a lot of people, especially in, in America, where I think like it kind of is, you know, that was kind of for me too. I grew up very Catholic. I didn't go to a, a Catholic or Christian school ever, but kind of just, you know, was more, and I don't think we, my family wasn't nearly as dedicated as you for a lot of reasons, but I think that there was, you know, just kind of this, monotonous kind of follow in the footsteps type of version there was no really fire for that type of relationship really inside of me at all until I really was on my own and able to do all those things when I was away and had the I think you're you're really spot on there in terms of you know you have to make the decision at the end of the day or whatever that decision is and so you got that opportunity you went to University of Iowa go Hawkeyes even though at this point um I I so I'm an Ohio State fan I don't know if you you knew that so I'm an yeah. Ohio State fan yeah. and so um, that was, we, we got beat by Michigan last Saturday. So, so, so sad. Michigan is really good. I'm praying for you guys that you will beat them and somehow upset them. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but I'm, I'm hopeful that it'll be, you know, you guys are still back and you guys are an awesome football school. I love watching you guys play. And so, but that was for you, the really, you were kind of away from your family for the first time. And so was that hard for you to adjust to that kind of, because college is a, is a very, I would say transformative experience for, I would say most people that go there, but you know, in terms of the way you were raised, the way you were parented, the way you and your siblings interacted, how did you adapt? Like, was there anything particular in particular that you struggled with? Anything that was kind of really new that you were like, oh, I don't know if I like this, or I don't know if I'm comfortable with this. Like, what was that experience like kind of being removed and kind of being this fully independent person and independent operator within this new ecosystem for you? So it was very difficult for me and it was quite the adjustment and so difficult that I actually got um, dismissed from school twice. The first time I was able to um, to write my way out of it and um, and and for being I was put on academic probation and I was dismissed and then I was reinstated and then I was dismissed again and they're like this time you're gonna be dismissed but there was so much stress for me because, I was depended on a lot as well for my family in terms of just like my younger siblings, what they needed. I, I was kind of, my, my younger siblings will joke and be like, you were second mom. And so there was a lot of things that were happening at home that made it very difficult for me to focus on school. And it's not to make an excuse, but I just did not do my schoolwork. I was just under so much stress that I just almost just became like lethargic and I just didn't do anything. And mm -hmm. so um, in terms of, was it difficult? It was very difficult. I remember my first semester 
of college gaining a lot of weight. I remember just like, you know, in high school, you can get by with not being structured for the most part. You can, you know, still pass with flying colors and that sort of thing. But a big part of college courses is showing up, is being present. It's asking the questions. It's adapting your own routine and schedule and becoming structured. And so that was my very first time really looking in the mirror and being like, wow, you lack structure. You lack a foundation. You know, there are so many things wrong right now and it's up to you to solve that. And so being dismissed is probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because the semester after I ended up going part-time at a community college um, that was in Iowa as well and worked full-time. And then that's when I started my fitness journey as well. And so every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I would go to the workout classes that I was doing. And then every Tuesday, Thursday for like a two hour period, I'd sit in the library, even if I didn't have homework and I'd just go through my coursework and stuff like that. And so from there on, um, every semester was great. And, um, a year later, I went back to the University of Iowa and was able to graduate. And I think the biggest thing for me, as one of the older siblings, I looked at it as like, hey, there are eyes on you. And so are you going to be defeated by this? Sorry. Are you going to be defeated by this? Or are you going to, you know, get up and take responsibility and finish what you started? And so that's exactly what I did. It's like, I knew I was going to be, I was actually the first female in our family to graduate from a four-year college. And so it's like, I'm going to finish what I started. I'm going to go back. What was that? I just said that was really cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, I'm going to finish what I started. And, you know, um, one of the things that was hard about that is I didn't tell anybody at the time that I was dismissed from school because I knew that um if I told like my family they would they would have been like I want you to move back to my hometown I want you to just like go to the community college here get a job here and for me that was just an absolute no-go because I I almost felt as if I knew how that story would end it's like we didn't come this far my we I mean like our whole you know, like bloodline for my parents to be picked and chosen to come to this country as immigrants. And then for me to have the opportunity as a female to get an education, I'm going to go all in and I'm going to, you know, finish what I started essentially, because that was just one of the things that I, I felt was not just a loss for me, but a loss for the entire family. That's just how I looked at it in the moment. Yeah. So I just had to to go for it, but it was not easy. It was definitely a journey. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it kind of, you know, echoes back to the earlier point you made about like, you're not just going after the things you want to go after for yourself. There's kind of like an almost an honor component to that in terms of like, you know, I have to do this because my parents busted ass. They worked really hard. My siblings are looking up to as a fellow oldest child. I can, I can also, um, you know, relate to that in a lot of ways where it's like, oh, you know, it's like, like the Tupac thing where it says and it's all eyes on you all the time you know there's like eyes from below from your parents eyes from above from your younger siblings and you're like kind of sandwiched in between like this pressure cooker of both being an example and being the person that is really dependent on in a lot of ways and and that is very stressful and I think that there's a lot of different dynamics that go into that but I mean it certainly seems like you made it out and it sounds like you eventually had a pretty good experience from it Mm -hmm. oh yeah it's very defining it was 
And that's where even just the desire for personal development and wow, there's more um, in me, there's more that I'm able to accomplish. That's that's what the, started to grow that. Yeah, very interesting. That's very cool. So you graduate from the University of Iowa, you make your way into the workforce and you start going around, you work at a couple places. And so I know that you are a very mission driven person. That's kind of the way you've really, you've touched on that earlier. You, we've talked about it several times offline. And so you're a very kind of like you, I've talked a lot about, you know, purpose, where you want to go, where you want to end up. You're curious about where other people take that from in a lot of ways. And so what was your initial exposure into the workforce? Like, did you feel that companies either encourage that, that they don't encourage that? Like, what was your overall sense of the workforce as soon as you were able to get into it? Initially, my initial initial reaction with people in the workforce, there were a lot of unhealthy people and not just physically unhealthy, but just unhealthy in terms of emotional health, mental health, and then physical health was a big aspect of it. And then a lot of people who dreaded what they did. And that that honestly blew my mind. It's like wow, there are a lot really. of miserable people in roles. And I will never forget in college, I was a server. And there was one lady who served full time. I did it part time as just a way to make money on the weekends when the Hawks are playing and everyone yeah. was in Iowa City, yeah. you know. Um, but she was complaining the entire shift. And I don't even think she consciously realized how much she was complaining. And she just kept complaining and complaining and complaining. And she walked by me and she said something else. And I was like, you know, you don't have to work here. If it's really that bad, <laughs> I'm sure you could find another job. Yeah, right, and then she right. stopped because no one had ever called her out on her complaints or anything. And that was the conversation. The next day she came back to me and she's like, you know what, Ann and I, I did not realize how much I was complaining. And you're right. Like, if it was that bad, I could just leave and find another job. And she's like, thank you for that. I needed that check, right? To be reminded, like, I have a job. It's paying for my children to eat, so on and so forth. And so I mentioned that because then with other jobs that I had, I found there were other people in roles where they didn't seem to like it. There was always something more than something. There were multiple things that were always wrong. And it's like, are we going to provide a solution to it? Or are we just going to complain about it with no intent of finding a solution? Or is there something else that you could be doing that would be more purpose-filled for you? Maybe you're just in the wrong industry. And so that was something I was always curious about. And I got a, my degree in what I studied at the University of Iowa was health and human physiology with a health studies track. Okay. And so there was pressure for me, on me, from my family, like get in the medical field, get in the medical field. And so during the pandemic, I actually did end up applying for a well-known um, research hospital in Minnesota. And I remember not liking it at all. And I think the reason why I was so bothered by it, because there were a lot of people who just seemed miserable in their role. Granted, this is in the middle of the pandemic and it's very stressful for anybody in the healthcare industry. But I was just so bothered by that because it's like, 
I just believe if you are in purpose, no matter how hard it gets, there is going to be a piece of you that's excited to show up daily because you know, like I am wired to do this. There's no better woman or man to do this thing than me. And that's what I want for everyone. I want them to just be on fire. Like there are a lot of days where for me, my work is very difficult and hard, or I'm speaking and having hard conversations and that sort of thing. But at the end of it, I know like I'm wired to do this. And so I want to continue to show up and to do that. And so that that's something that I, I noticed. Yeah, no, I, I was and well, and you're end up, you're in the perfect position for it now because you know what what was really kind of unbelievable. I remember, you know, you talked to a lot of my friends about this when we were down in Florida, and you've talked to a lot of them, I'm sure, since about you eventually did you landed at like a job with like I don't even know how, you know, you've you've I don't you've been working for Tony for a little bit now, but I mean like it's really interesting that you know you landed a job with tony robbins that's a really kind of fucking big deal like i mean that's a huge guy a huge personality like you kind of are there with this just excuse me absolute titan of the personal development industry probably the, like the og of the ogs in terms of like mm -hmm. all these guys that we're seeing on social media and everything else so that's mm -hmm. incredible and so i, I want to go into the process of like how in the world did you do that first and foremost and like what was the process like for you and kind of you know, forging ahead, getting into that position that most people would, you know, in your position that have the same mindset as you would probably kill to be in. Like, what was that whole process like? Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, like how I mentioned, I was working in the hospital, absolutely not fulfilled in the role. I just knew it was not for me. Um, I, I think there, there were a lot of aspects to just even how healthcare is done that I just, just didn't align with me. And so I knew I needed out, but I wasn't just going to leave in the middle of the pandemic and not have something lined up. And so for me, being a person of faith, I was actually in a season of really, really praying and fasting and just like seeking out the Lord. I was like, I'm not happy here. I'm not. And it's not even just about happiness. I'm not fulfilled here. It was right. even deeper. Big difference. Big difference. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I'm not fulfilled here. I don't feel as if there it's one of, it was one of those positions or roles where it just, I could do this in my sleep. There was just no, no being stretched, no growth, nothing. And so in praying and fasting about that, um, there was one day where I had seen an email because like how I mentioned, I had gone to Tony events in the past and um, been just a part of the community. Uh, I received an email from them and it said we were hiring at the bottom of the email. And I took a look at the email and I was just like, oh, that would be such a dream. And then that was that. I didn't think about it again. So a couple of weeks go by and I'm like, I've applied to all of these jobs. It's, you know, been a tedious process of finding something that I feel I would like and fit in with. Um, and, and then like a thought comes into mind to go back to that email. So I look at that email again and I go and click like the what we're hiring and all of the list of what was posted for the openings. Um, and they were all positions I was clearly, like clearly not qualified for. Yeah. And, and I had, and I don't think it was me. I definitely think this was a God thought because anytime there's a thought that exceeds you and it seems very, very big, it's probably not you. It probably is God. And so um, I had this thought, like, go ahead and apply and there'll be a position for you that's like better suited for you. So I did. So I went and applied. Um, I was not confident in my resume to all add at, at the moment. And so I applied or I, there was a, one of the things they wanted was like an introductory video of who you are. And so I shared that video 
And then at the bottom of it, I actually shared the preface to my to my book. Um, wow. And cool. I attached that as well. And I sent the email and it was like attached, you will find my introductory video and a snippet of what describes me or who I am as a person. Um, if you have any other questions, feel free to reach out. And then I signed it at the bottom, my name and the best is yet to come. And so I think based off of the email, the blurb on my on my book and the introductory video, my personality and just like who I am as a person really showed that it fit with this community, right? Like I am culture when it comes to what we do here and I fit in well. And that's a big part of any mission-driven company is you want people who fit the culture. Because if someone does not fit the culture, that's like suicide waiting to happen, right? right. Yep. And so a um, couple weeks later, I get an introductory um, phone call um, interview and the gentleman who interviewed me, he asked me a series of questions because I applied for a sales position. And he was just like, just so you know, the next level of um, interviews are going to be very intense. Do you feel that based off of your sales background um, that you're ready for that? Would you like to move on with the second round of interviews? And then like, he kind of paused and I kind of paused and I was thinking, he's like, otherwise, I do want to um, share with you another position that we have um, that I think you might be a good fit for. And then he goes on to share and he was just like, this is a, a new department that we're revamping and developing. We don't even have a name for it yet. Um, we're not hiring for it just quite yet, but if you'd like for me to hold on to your um your application, once we are hiring for that position, I can go ahead and give you a call back. And so that's exactly what happened. So it's like that thought in the beginning where it's just like, apply for this job and there'll be a position for you. That's exactly what ended up happening. So I took a leap of faith for something I was not qualified for and then found a position where I fit like a glove. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I ended up here almost three years later. Yeah, so that, that's the blueprint, I guess. So anyone who is looking to get an ambitious job, you play that clip over again. You clip it, you re-record it. That's that's really awesome. That's really, really cool. And so that's that's totally inspiring in a lot of ways. And so for me, and I think, a, I think some people out there, I kind of wrote my first book in a lot of ways to kind of dump on the motivation, personal development industry in a lot of ways where I kind of thought a lot of it was like, fluffy and airy fairy and a lot of other things like that. And so I just, I, I kind of am a very, you know, grounded person where I'm like, okay, like just, you know, do the work and then see what happens and maybe sprinkle some motivation on top of it. And so I was very like Jocko Willink in that regard, where I was like, just, just put your head down, do it. Navy seal books, like all this, all this type of thing. So I was kind of not in terms of that. I would say that mindset that maybe you have more than more so than I do. And so I had some reservations when it came to people like Tony Robbins or Tim Ferriss or Gary Vee or Grant Cardone or, you know, whoever, you know, person you want to say it. And so what is it to you about what Tony does and what you do that really inspires you to keep pressing forward on and believe that it is important? Like, why do you think the encouragement motivation aspect of the personal development world is as important as you believe it to be? Mm, that's a great question. I would go back to kind of what I said earlier, where I feel like there are people on our path that we cross paths that need something specifically from you that they might not catch or grasp if another said it. Because there's a 
whether it's your tonality, it's how you share it with them, it's um, the similar life path that you might be on in terms of your childhood and how you grew up and how you were raised. You have something that's shared between you and that person, and that's why they were drawn to you. So I feel that way with Tony as I do with like a Gary Vee or anyone else in the space. There's something about that person and how they present it that there are going to be some people who gravitate to, towards that work and there'll be others who repel, right? And so like what you mentioned about, you know, your first book being kind of like ugh, the whole personal development, self-help um, uh, industry. It's like, what more could be added? I, I remember I was listening to a podcast, a podcast and the, the gentleman said to the person he was interviewing, I don't remember um I won't go into detail who they were, yeah, but he, he, was, he was saying of the hundreds of thousands of self-help books that are out there, what made you feel it was necessary for you to write this specific book, right? And to his point is like, shouldn't all the answers already exist if there are hundreds, hundreds of thousands of book, books out there instead of me writing a book or Sam writing a book or whomever writing a book? Why don't we just refer people to the books that exist? And it's and it really boils down to their the, the life you lived and the decisions you made and the lessons you learned from it. There's going to be a way for you to express that that no one else can express it just like you. And then on and then adding on to that, there are going to be people who are tied to that. They needed to hear it from you and have that breakthrough moment at that moment. They needed to experience reading and buying your book. They needed to, whatever it was, it had to come from you. And so to say that there's no need for any more books or to say that one, and you know, I've also noticed that people do this with certain pastors, like, oh, this pastor is too um, like fluff and very, very optimistic with his, you know, yeah. teachings and stuff yeah. like that. And this, he needs to go deeper and go raw and all of that. And it's like, but maybe his audience are people who are battered and have been through tremendous abuse and have, yeah. you know, endured such hardship and their view and outlook of God is one of, if God's anything like my human and earthly father, then I want nothing to do with him. Right. And maybe they do need that soft-spoken person and the optimism in order to just be able to open their heart to receive. And so I hope that answers your question, but in, in short is, there is an audience for every single person. And yeah. if you don't yeah. gravitate to a certain person, it's not that that person's irrelevant or we need to um, cancel them, right? Or ban them or whatever. It's yeah. just, you haven't found your tribe yet. Yeah. I, so like, that makes total sense. And I think that this is, this is a me problem that I've had to deal with for a while because like, I'm a, I'm a total fire and brimstone guy. Like when I'm in church, I want to like, I want conviction all the time. Like I don't want kind of like, and it's, it's funny because like I'm in kind of a very young evangelical church down in Austin. So, you know, about three hours or four hours away from you. And so kind of I'm down here and, you know, kind of, you know, experiencing like, oh man, like I really want someone to kind of, you know, slap me across the face with the word of God or something basically or whatever, or whatever it, it might be. And so I, I, I like the hard stuff. And so Right. But I, I also understand that like there are, to your point, this is a great point that you made, that you, there aren't people like not everyone is one wired like you and two at the same place as you are in. So it's all mm -hmm. in terms of perspective. And so I, I look at the the demographic of my church, for example, I said, okay, these are a lot of college kids that are working or former college kids, current college kids that are working in probably pretty cushy tech jobs 
that are out on their own for the first time. And they're probably kind of walking into a church for, you know, in maybe the first time in a very long time. And so they, they may need to be kind of taken along kind of more slowly than I would. And then not kind of, you know, overwhelmed with kind of like, let's dig into like the first two verses of John or something like that. Like we don't, we don't need, they don't need that. They need something more suited and tailored towards everything else. So I think that's a, that's something that I miss quite often. And so that's something that I need to be reminded of a lot. So I think that's a, that's a really, really solid point. And I think that you might've just convinced me on the motivation stuff. Who knows? (laughs) And you wouldn't feed a baby steak, you know? Yeah. uh, Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's a great one. I, yeah. Is that an Ethiopian phrase? It's definitely not. (laughs) Okay. I was, I was, I was about to say, I don't think I've ever heard that before. I think that's, I was like, okay, that's, that's a, that's a bar right there. So I'm going to, I'm going to, okay. So, um, I'm going to butcher this phrase, but, um, you, in your Instagram bio, you have, uh, rice on day and tray. How do you say that? So it's in, um, it's in French and I'll probably even say, I I thought it was French. I had no idea. Yeah. But it's essentially it's reason for life. Yes. Reason for being or reason for life. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. And so I I had no idea what that meant. So I I did look up the word and so I Googled it. And so the definition for the, the phrase or the word, I think it's two words, uh, the most important reason for, or purpose for someone or something's existence. So I said, okay, that's a cool thing. I didn't, and so I was like, this is a, you know, it's kind of a French way to say a very, you know, kind of a universal thing. And so you have it next to your new media venture and your content creation that you're doing in terms of your company stride. So mm-hmm. I want to give you an opportunity to just, you know, blow that up and speak on it, but I want to just kind of get very foundational with everything else here. So where did the idea for stride come from and why is it, why is it so central to who you are and what you want to do? Like, why is it for your most, why is it your most important reason or purpose for wanting to go out in the world and act upon that? Great question. So I would say, and I would add, of course, as a Christian, my reason for life is to go out and make disciples of the nation, right? But my platform or my vehicle for doing that is Stride. And so Stride for me was initially a thought or an idea um, in 2018, just in a time of, I would say I am always thinking about the next thing and always on fire about goals and whatnot. And rarely am I just still and quiet. And so I went through a season where every time I would go to the sauna, I felt like God was speaking to me. And I'm like, well, it's probably because this is the only time I'm still and quiet. And so stride was a word that was kind of just like impressing my heart in that season. I document everything that I feel I hear or I think about and whatnot. And so stride was like something I was just like taking notes on um, in that season. Fast forward, I ended up moving end of 2018 to Portland, Oregon, and I was in between jobs. I had gotten hired for a job at like right before moving, but my start time wasn't, or my start date wasn't until about a month and a half after moving. So being in a new city, not near family, I didn't know anybody, I'm not working, I'm not, I had to just fill that time. And so for me, how I, I how I filled it was writing. Um, I would go, it's Portland, you know, Portland's known for the coffee shops and their writing community. Paul City Books is out in Portland, a yep. lot of writers out in Portland. And I didn't initially ever go there for writing. I, writing was not something I was pursuing. Writing wasn't even something I was passionate about. I woke up in the middle of the night one night and I just like felt the need to start writing. I just started writing just to pass time. And then I 
made it like a fun activity. I'm going to go to a new coffee shop with my laptop, sit and write. And I didn't think anything of it in terms of like, this was going to be a book or anything one day, but within a 30 day period, I did write like a 30,000 page book. Oh, okay, good. And so I was like, Oh, I guess we are writing a book. And pride yeah. just started to unfold for me during that month of month and a half of, of not working. And in a nutshell, what stride is so stride is a concept and the image that was was that I was like seeing as I as this was unfolding was like a runner and if you were to pause a runner in the middle of a stride let's say they were running a relay race there'd be a hand in front and a hand behind one foot in front one foot behind they're facing forward their focus is clearly ahead of them on what's to come or where they're headed that finish line and then um they're not worried about who's to the left or who's to the right of them. And they have that hand in back. Let's say, again, back to the relay example, is ready to receive. But then once that hand is in front, it's ready to like pass the baton. It's ready to give. And so in stride, it's like, okay, living a life in stride. Let me add this as well. So for sure. me, I, being that person who's always, what's next? What's next? What's next? I think I always found myself very anxious about the future. And am I doing enough? And am I enough? And all sorts of things. So stride really helped ground me and be more present with my thinking, be more present with there is no getting there without first being here. You know what I mean? Tomorrow, I won't make it to tomorrow if I don't make it past the next minute, the next second. And so stride was very grounding in that sense. And so I remember just kind of like, okay, started writing about this as the concepts are coming to mind. And someone in stride is someone who's very present. Someone in stride is someone who is both ready to receive, but also ready to give. So everything that you've gone through in the past, you don't need to dwell in the past. You don't need to you know, live in the past. You don't need to be depressed about it. You don't be stuck there. Come back into present. But that one foot that's behind, how can you use what you've gone through as momentum to move you forward into the next step, right? Mm-hmm. The things you've learned in the past, how can you receive that and then now give it off to your future self or to whoever, a future generation, whoever you're passing the baton to. And then a person who's also in stride, you're going to notice any athlete, any track athlete, they're going to have a well-defined core, right? You're not going to find someone that your core is important as a runner, but also looking at a person in stride, your core is going to be your values. Your values are what keep you stable. Your core is what keeps you stable when you're running, right? But then that heart and stride, your heart's what keeps you going. There's right? like the core stability, your heart's what keeps you going. Where is your heart and stride? Like, what is your why? What's keeping you going? So all of that just started to unfold. And then like, of course, the focus is on who's like the what's ahead of you. The focus isn't on what's behind you. You find any runner ever looking to the person next to them or looking back, it's going to slow them down. Same for you in your life. You can model people, but your focus should not be on other people and what they're doing in their lane. Your focus should be on you and your lane. So that in a nutshell is what stride is. And stride is just a means of using what you have. The biggest thing that I struggled with early on in just personal development is thinking that I needed the next thing and the next thing. And I was missing this. 
And it's kind of like the book Acres of Diamonds, if you've ever read that book. Have uh, no. What, what, what was it? Say the name again. Acres of Diamonds. I have not. No. Okay. So it's like a tale of this African man who went far and wide, sold everything looking for diamonds, and he ended up dying, never finding diamonds. So he sold his property, sold everything, and was just on um, on a mission to find these diamonds wherever they were. And so after he passed away, the person who ends up buying his house goes to the back, is near the river, and finds a diamond. So he was sitting on diamonds this whole time, but he thought he needed to leave to find diamonds where he was already placed where diamonds were held. And I say that because a lot of us think we need to go do this and go far and, you know, or it's kind of like the the widow, the widow in um um in Kings, first Kings with with Elijah. Yeah. 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 And she's just like, it was oil that she had in her home that was able to take care of both pay off her debt and then also take care of her, her sons, right? Yep. And so stride really does help you remember that everything that you need to at least begin, you already have. You're already setting setting on acres of diamonds. You're already setting sitting on all of these gifts and talents that are enough to at least begin. And as you take the step, more resources will come. As you take another step, more resources will come. As you read that next book, more resources will come, right? You might think I need to buy this or I need to do this or I need to get so-and-so as a mentor. Maybe there's step number 10 in your story. But right. what's that first step? First step might be calling someone who's already in your contacts. The first step might be reading a book that's on your shelf that you bought two years ago. First step might be something as simple as getting up and out of bed and saying, yes, today's the day, you know? Yeah. As a person who absolutely adores metaphors, that is a really great, you really thought through that. That's really, really awesome. So I think I, I was confident in the book and we'll get to the book in a second going, going, you know, going forward and, and maybe another, I have a couple more questions, but I think that metaphor is so solid. And like, you really kind of built out the whole thing. Like I had this picture of like Shikari Richardson or somebody inside of yeah. my head the whole time. And I was like, oh, wow. Like that's really, like you really have it all nailed down. So that's really awesome. And so getting into more of the, the brand aspect. So we talked about this a little bit earlier too, but you've been incredibly consistent with building out this brand in terms of getting content out and posting a bunch of things, whether it's just something as simple as a quote or a small Instagram reel or something like that. You've been very, very consistent with a day in and day out, which is very, very difficult to do with content creation and everything else. I'm kind of in that phase where I'm rolling out the last bit of my toxic maturity content and then I'm going to be moving into something I want to do later for my brand as well with kind of expanding all these things. And so I remember you telling me a very long time ago, I think before you started doing this or the beginning of the time you started doing this, you wanted to create a piece of content a day and see where it went. So now that we are at almost the completion and the apex of it, like, how do you feel that you did? Like what's, what's, and I would say on top of that, like what's next for your content for stride for the brand, like what's kind of the, your plan going forward if you have one at this point? Yeah, so I believe today is going to be day 324. Amazing. Amazing. Something like that. Yeah. But it's funny that you mentioned that because I look at it as like, I, I forget, it's already a part of my routine that I don't even count it as creating content. So I'm like thinking yeah. like, I haven't created content in a while, but that daily pose is just now built in, but that's what was supposed to happen. Right. Um, right. The whole reason why I started that page was just to build the muscle of posting daily to the point where it's like, I don't need a, you know, a notification of my phone to remind me to post, right? It's just 
it's like brushing your teeth. You just know that you do it. You know, you don't question it. It's just a part of your, your schedule. And so this whole year was just getting in the routine and building that muscle. And then I believe like this, the next stage of this is going to be actually mapping out a content strategy in a system in place to have stuff that are actually, all of this was for me just to build that muscle. Next phase is going to be for the audience. Um, and just to go find them, create things for them, modify things to fit their liking. Um, but I had to build that foundation first. Yeah, that's really, really cool. And so you sell before you build in a lot of ways where you go out and you kind of create this stuff, but now you kind of are turning inward towards your potential clients, which is really, really cool. So I think that's going to be a great next step. And so I have one last big question and we always end on a similar note. So I the, the bat last big question. So I want to turn back to, um, as a writer, I'm very sensitive about, you know, books and upcoming authors. I think it's really hard to write a book. I think it's really awesome. that A lot of people are starting to write books, especially my friends. And so what is the next move with the book? Like, what do you want to do with the book next? Like, so what I know you, you know, basically, and so you kind of touched on why you wanted to write it. And so what is the process for you that you foresee going forward in terms of how you're going to take that to market? Are you in contact with publishers you talking with people about you know are you going to do it online you're going to roll it out with whatever like what do you have a, a plan for it and if so what is that yeah so how I mentioned the book was something that I was able to kind of breeze through and just write just to dump ideas and concepts as they came um, this year I spent a lot of time now with the I didn't mention this but stride is also an acronym and so I wanted to do more study on my own for each component of stride so the strategy time resources identity discipline execution yeah. so to have this book be a very holistic outlook on striding into one's next season of whatever the case may be um, I wanted more like research to back up each concept. So this year was a lot of studying and adding on to that. And another thing that I realized with the book, it, the book for me, it didn't feel ready at the time of writing it in 2018, 2019. And now looking at it early 2023, I was able to review that it was two books. There are two things wow, okay. in the book that, so there was a lot of personal information that I shared in the book and that's all coming out because that fits a second book that I will be publishing way, 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 way later down the line. Yeah. So in terms yeah. of Stride being ready to be published, it is something that I did push out into 2024 um, just because I spent a lot of time now doing research to add on with each category uh, to just give that whole viewpoint of how one can now take the resources here and use it right because I to your point about self-help and personal development I don't want to tell anybody what to do or how to do anything I want to give tools and resources for you to now be empowered to do something that you feel is your next best step or to do something with your life that you feel is right for you that's awesome. That's so cool. there is no seven steps to da 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 da. I don't have yeah, the seven yeah. steps. You know what I mean? I don't right. have the three steps. I don't have the just follow this step by step. No, but I will give you a plethora of information. And I want you to take that and be empowered to make your next big step stride into it. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I have no doubt it'll, I'll be the first person to buy it. I will, and we'll do another podcast when it comes out. So it'll be, it'll be blown up in all the ways that it can be. So 
Um, we have a, of course, and we have a closing last question on this podcast that I ask everybody. And so it is what, and the namesake of this podcast, the value economics podcast, what do you value the most and why? I value my relationship with the Lord. It's even though I'm changing and I can be inconsistent, I know that God's love is not changing. And like, I think that was something that was very, very hard for me to grasp for a while. Like, you know, especially when I strive to do good things and to be a good person yeah, sure. and to know that when I miss the mark or when I drop the ball or when I fall short, which I do often, um, God's love just remains the same. And so I really just like value like my relationship with the Lord and I, it's the driving force for everything that I do. Awesome. Ananiah, this is really, really fun. Thank you so much for hopping on. I really, really appreciate this. This was great. And I hope you had as fun of a time as I did. I did. Thank you for having me. What an honor. Thank I, you. I, the honor is mine. The honor is mine. So her name is Ananiah. My name is Sam. This has been the Value Economics Podcast and own the day, open your mind, and we'll see you guys next week.